1: ny or text hope ny in new york
2: hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the bengal tiger podcast i'm matthew Bruning joining me once again is shay Dixon. shay we have a bunch of colors on the screen right now purple background orange shirt blue shirt um for those listening at home just all of the colors you can imagine are on the screen
3: A bright Monday morning to you in an on three green cap, which uh,
2: is my favorite of the group. Keep it on straight
3: there. Good weekend, Maddie B. I know you were a bit under the weather, but um, we'll talk. This is a football usually heavy podcast in terms of mailbag, but uh, we are allowing uh, a couple basketball questions in here uh, just because things heated up over the weekend, uh, both on the men's and the women's side with games. We'll get into that in a minute. Before we start the Mailbag pod, I wanted to touch on this because I found it interesting. We're in the time of year where mock drafts are really kicking up. And mock drafts are never perfect, but they do at least give you some insight into what some of the top or most respected names in that industry are saying, because a lot of what they get are from teams, scouts, GMs who met front office people And they sort of organize out their predictions from there. Well, we've seen a lot of round one mock drafts. Now, ESPN today has dropped a round two mock draft. And um, I'll pull it up here. This was something that stood out to me because for the first time, I think it's realistic at least, since the 2018 class that LSU will not have had a first rounder or may not have had a first rounder in 2019. They had one in Devin white at linebacker uh, 2020. They had what one, two, three, four, five with burrow and yeah. Jefferson and chase on and queen and Edward G Uh, In 2021, Jamar went in the first round a year ago. Derek Stingley goes as high as three. Uh, and even before that 2018 season, uh, in 2017 draft, I should say, Fournette went uh, four overall, Jamal Adams went six, Tradavius White, one of the best corners in the league and an all pro, uh, went in the first round. So since 2017, only one time has LSU gone without a first rounder. I'm looking at the latest ESPN mock draft and there is not only not a first rounder, BJ Ojolari comes off in the second round in this prediction to the Rams early on edge rusher priority position. Kayshawn Butte is not on it at all. So there's at least some people out there that are saying that they would not have Kayshawn Butte as not only a first rounder, but not even a second rounder. Now simultaneously, I'll give you this. I pulled up uh, the breakdown from all of the uh, ESPN guys and where they have the receivers ranked. None of them have Kayshaun Butte in their top five. Are we looking at a situation – we'll debate or at least talk about the first-rounder thing in a second. Is there a real chance Kayshaun is not a top 60 pick, doesn't go in the first two rounds?
2: I mean, I, we, we had this conversation kind of about him going in the first round earlier. The dynamic changes completely when looking at the second round because first round, I I can agree with those you know ESPN and most people when doing a top five receivers list, you're gonna have the guys like Quentin Johnson, uh, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, um, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Josh Downs, uh, just reading them off right now. Jalen Hyatt even to a degree. Second round is where you get to names like Rasheed Rice from SMU who was very productive at SMU, but, um, you know, I saw him and I've seen Kayshawn at his peak. I think Kayshawn is better at his peak. Um, Then you get into some other, I mean, really, there's not a ton of receivers in the second round. You go Jaden Reed from Michigan State, um, and I'm even, I even have up an SB Nation one that's, I think, aggregated uh, as well. So the second round, it's like it feels top-heavy in a way, where you get those top six, and then after that it's either Rasheed Rice or Kayshawn, or you don't have many other options. Yeah. So
3: the the breakdown they have here in today's ESPN mock draft, you can find it on their site, obviously round one and round two, both have four receivers in it. They put four receivers in round one, four more in round two. That speaks to this sort of divide you're talking about, Uh, but it goes Jordan Addison out of Southern Cal Jackson, Smith and Jigbat Ohio state who missed all but three games. I mean, Kayshawn's injury is playing a, a role at least in this conversation. I think his medicals at the NFL draft will be yeah. something that people are watching. Cause he didn't look the same after his injury, but Jackson Smith and Jigba of Ohio state is a first round guy. They're predicting Quentin Johnson out of TCU. Jalen Hyatt is a late round flyer out of Tennessee. And then in the second round, Zay flowers, Boston college, Josh downs, UNC Rashid rice SMU guys, you mentioned, then they went Tyler Scott out of Cincinnati, no bootay. So, I do think that you're right. I think that it plays into that reality of, okay, at this point, it looks like he may not be a first rounder. So it's going to take a team falling in love with him in the second round more than they like some of these other guys that we mentioned.
2: And receiver is starting to turn into, well, I would say two or three years ago it, started, it did this, but it turned into kind of a premier position to where teams are willing to take a chance on receiver higher. And I know it's kind of always been that way where, uh, we've seen guys with great speed going round one that maybe weren't proven, but with the emergence of the receiver position in the NFL, where you see, you know, the the Eagles get Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, and you just – the whole game opens up for a quarterback like Jalen Hurts. Like, so you go down the list of uh, the Vikings, you know, every a bunch of teams that have average to slightly above average quarterback play that just the offense opens up when you have receivers, teams like a – like I'm looking at a, a mock draft now. Like they have Green Bay taking Quentin Johnson. Like you just make life easier on whoever the quarterback is, Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love. Um, same thing with the Seahawks, right? The Seahawks get Jordan Addison, and you compare him with DK Metcalf, so on and so forth. So that's why I, it is increasingly getting more top heavy to where these first round guys are like, if you need, a, if you want a receiver you go and get a receiver early. And that's why, like, the second round is really, like, kind of, I don't want to say leftovers, but it is a little bit more of, like, okay, we can be more selective. Like, if we're not in love with this guy, we're not going to take a chance on him here. And Kayshawn, while, well, again, like I said, his highs, his peaks, I think, obviously, warrant a top 15 pick. This past year, he tried playing, th- playing through that injury a little bit more. He tried getting back to 100%. And what he showed on the field was not good enough to be a first round pick. Like that's the reality of it, and he's going to have to make up for that by performing incredibly well at the pro day, combine, wherever he tests.
3: Here is what I will tell you will maybe save the streak, keep the streak alive. Is not Keishon; it's B.J. Ojolari because edge rusher, outside linebacker, wherever you want to peg it into whatever defense he would go is a premium position and there is no doubt that will anderson is considered the elite edge rusher in this draft out of alabama he will go as one of the top picks in the draft but when i look at where they are ranking these outside linebacker edge rusher guys mel kuyper doesn't have bj in his top five mcshay has bj fifth then you get into guys like reed who has bj second Uh, Matt Miller has BJ third. So um, it will be interesting. uh, And that's Jordan Reed at ESPN. Some varying opinions there, but the thought is he's anywhere from right after Will Anderson and ahead of Nolan Smith and guys to behind that top group and maybe third, fourth, fifth, that could equate to an early second round, late first round pick. So it's BJ Ojalary. Who's the one who has a chance to keep this streak alive and I'll also say this, in high school, bjo Gelari tested very well. He was a 40-inch vert guy. He could run fast in the 40. Just the things that they'll do at the combine, he'll do well at, and he'll interview well. So I could see teams knowing, hey, look, his brother came in the league, had a lot of success early on as a second-round pick. This is a guy that could potentially be a late first-rounder. I'm really um, eager, excited to see – what the next uh, couple of months look like for BJ, because I think he's got a chance to continue to move his stock up more than where it already is.
2: Yeah. And he is in a situation where the scheme will matter uh, as far as where, you know, the defensive coordinators that are looking at him and the head coaches that are looking at him. So if I think ideally you'd like him as an outside linebacker type uh, in a three, four type situation where you have him utilize his speed to where he's not hand-in-the-dirt type, I don't think, at the next level. Uh I'm not saying he's not capable of that, but I think, ideally, I'd want him as an outside linebacker, which might, that could work in his favor, it could not work in his favor, but I think you might be looking at a little bit more of a select pool of teams, where instead of 32 teams, I think maybe it's cut down to, like, 22 teams let's say that I think could where he could fit in their scheme. Maybe I'm wrong on that, maybe he can do both at a at an incredibly high level. I just think after watching him for 2 years, I would like him more as an outside linebacker type. I mean, he did at LSU, right? He was at the Jack which was technically an outside linebacker position. So um I think that's where he can really excel at at the next level. But yeah, you're right. It's a uh, you do get a lot of varying opinions. Uh, just when I've scrolled through them I and I've looked through a bunch of different experts, you know, rank and talk about the edges in this draft. BJ um, is as physically impressive, I think, as anybody here.
3: So that's the kind of, that's the gist of it. Those are the two guys that are going to probably get picked first for LSU, um, barring some big drop, like we said, for a guy like Keyshawn, but Kayshawn being looked at as a second rounder at, you know, at tops at best right now, at least in the eyes of some BJ potentially late first round guy. Uh, we will keep an eye on it. In the draft obviously Lee is still a few months away. Yeah. Mailbag time. Um, not a ton of questions today, but some good ones. So I posted uh, we'll a like, That
2: was my fault.
3: Uh, well, nah. well, you know, it's the off season, you know, people <laughs> yeah. are uh, we'll get them to get your mailbag questions in, guys, because then you can get more podcasts from us and get more good listening. Um, let's start it off. We don't uh, usually go recruiting, but well, this isn't very specific, it's more of a statement. Uh, Mr. Virgo, why do y'all think fans get in an uproar when recruits don't choose their school? This one for me is very easy. Fan is short for fanatic. They're fanatics. And if you follow recruiting, you're an ultimate fanatic. Like many people just follow the team on Saturday or beyond that, they start to follow what the team's doing in the off season and who's going pro to take it all the way to the recruiting level is the uh, ultimate level uh, that a fan can reach. That's the The gold standard. So when you get there, your emotions are running high. You know know everything that's going on in the program. uh, Mm -hmm. So you get quite upset when uh, it does not go your way. But I don't know if this is Juwan Johnson related or not. And people upset that he, uh, a junior in high school is going to Colorado to play for prime, or at least that's where his commitment's at. I always say when you're 10 months away from signing day, there really is not much uh, to worry about. So a lot of time left for, for them to figure that out.
2: I like, how you, I like how you phrased it because at this point, again, for people on our board, they are the highest level of LSU fans, highest level of you know, college football fans, really. And so with the, all the information that we provide on that board and how many conversations we have on the board, it's like they know everything about every recruit at this point. So every target, every prospect. I mean, heck, if people listen to the recruiting podcast every week, you get an idea of it. So um, there's just so – there's a lot of time spent knowing these recruits, you know, getting to watching them, all that stuff. So when they don't pick their school, obviously there's a little bit of like, dang, I spent this time learning about you and then you go play somewhere else to where I can't root for you. So it's just kind of how it goes, but that's, that's the business.
3: This next one's for you here. Uh, I'll set you up for it. Um, You are the resident women's basketball uh, expert. You came um, over from North Texas at a good time. You got to see the resurgence of, The women's basketball team under Mulkey last year uh, going into the tournament. Then this year, obviously, uh, one of only two unbeaten teams remaining. And that's what Nola Tiger wants to ask about. So he says, Matthew, the advantages and disadvantages you see for the LSU women when they face South Carolina, for those that may be living under a rock and just don't pay attention to any women's basketball. South Carolina's number one, LSU's number three. The polls come out today or tomorrow. This is being reported. They come out at 12
2: for the women, so we'll see if they moved up to two. Okay,
3: so the debate is if they move up to two. Stanford lost to an unranked team, uh, but Indiana was right behind LSU in votes. Uh, Did they, for some reason, flip-flop them? Let's just presume here, uh, for the sake of them wanting to drum up the women's game uh, and create attention on Super Bowl Sunday, that it's a one-versus-two matchup. Um, And for those that also don't know, South Carolina reigning champs pretty much brought everybody back, um, have arguably player of the year, or at least one of them on their team. What What's the early thoughts here? The game is on Sunday at one o'clock. So your take your early, early takeaways on this.
2: Yeah, I'm, I can't wait for this game. Obviously uh, I know people wish it was at home. I wish like last year it was at South Carolina and this year it was at home, but you know, it was flipped um I watched South Carolina play Yukon yesterday and it was just like a again one of those one off type games like we saw Tennessee play Yukon I guess Yukon just loves playing these uh, non conference games in the middle of conference season but I mean South Carolina's huge man uh Aliyah Boston is 6-5 at the 4 um Camila Cardoso 6-7 at the 5 like that's the biggest thing with South Carolina is they just impose themselves with size and I'll have a full preview and everything later in the week. I think on Fridays when I'm looking at Friday or Saturday morning. Um but yeah, their size is just the biggest thing. And I think while LSU has been a great rebounding team and a really good team at scoring in the paint for a lot of this year, there have been games where they've been kind of not bullied, but you know, not been able to get those rebounds, not been able to be efficient in the paint. I think we saw it against Auburn, uh, Tennessee at times. So that is one of my concerns is like they're going to have to rely on like Samaya Smith and, um, you know, LaDaysha Williams to have good games alongside of Angel Reese. So that's my early take. I'm really interested on the size aspect of it and how LSU matches up. But if they get Tennessee version of Alexis Morris, LSU does, I think they'll have a shot. But again, South Carolina is in your what of, of um, Dawn Staley. Like it's, it's not, that's what Kim Wolke probably going to say on Thursday at her press conference. She's probably going to be like, look, she is, you know, has this thing established the reigning champs undefeated, all this stuff. We're still developing this program. And I think even though that's true, LSU fans are going to want to win. We'll see but how I, they do.
3: I think LSU fans at least should be, we'll, we'll tell them to right now take some realistic expectations into this because while LSU is obviously alongside USC is the only unbeatens out there um, they haven't played a slew of great, you know, elite competition. Uh, That being said, they've been very good. It takes a lot to win that many games in a row without a loss. Uh, So you're on the up and up, no matter what, that you can say this is a good measuring stick to expect to win in South Carolina would probably be asking a lot, as you noted, they're ta- they're more talented and they're deeper. Now, yeah. Is this the do we get the Angel Reese Leah Boston like on each end matching up? Is that is that kind That's of, a of the marquee storyline or That'd... are they guarding different people?
2: No, they'll be guarding each other, I would assume. I think cuz Angel technically plays the 4 with Ledes at the 5, so I would assume they go Reese on Boston. Oh man, they just don't have any like 6 5 girls to throw at. Um, at South Carolina, that's the hard part, but yeah, it, that and then Zaya Cook for South Carolina has basically been first team all conference player, and so her against Alexis Morris will be interesting. Yeah, there's a, a lot of storylines here. Like, like you said, I don't expect LSU to win this game, I just don't think they're quite there yet. Um, like if I had to set a line for it, I'd probably say it's South Carolina by like five or six. Um, but I think LSU can play well and establish itself. Be like, hey, we're a Final Four caliber team, no matter what.
3: Well, and if they're a Final Four caliber team, then, then that means things have gone right. And this would probably not okay. be the last time they play South Carolina. They could see them in the tournament and uh, SEC. And then they could obviously run into them in the big dance. Um, this could just be the first of multiple meetings for Mulkey and Staley this year. But um, exciting women's basketball drawing some coverage here on the national stage and certainly get the shout out on the podcast.
2: For sure. uh, Minden
3: man asked, considering all the great things CBK does as a head football coach, do you think he might undervalue special teams a bit from the special teams to the place kicker? Uh, or this is coordinator to place kicker to blocking. Uh, we've seen awful kickoff coverage, punt return problems. Uh, LSU has simply not graded any of these things. And I don't see much improvement next year, except hopefully Aaron Anderson. If we can't get a kicker better than Ramos, that seems it seems weak and not valued for some reason. He means weak the whole special teams approach. And then he asked if I do these (laughs) podcasts for my grandma's parlor, which I guess has a parlor feel to it perhaps, but no, this is just a side office here at the house. I'll say this. I'm not judging Brian Kelly's value on special teams until I know what the outcome of the off season is. Like, I don't think we're out of the woods at all on coaching changes and we've heard buzz about it. And yeah. I don't think that Brian Kelly's like people are going to say, oh, well, Brian Kelly and Brian Pullian are tied at the hip. They've been together a long time. They're very close. That could be true. But I don't think that Brian Kelly is going to risk. A friend, any of that when it comes to on field results and if he deems there needs to be someone else on special teams or they need to adjust it in whatever way, I think Brian Kelly is going to do that. He has been a head coach for more than 30 years. And he came here to try to win championships now. So he knows it is every single year counts. Like they won the West in year one. They may not win the West again. I mean, it's a hard thing to do. You can make the playoffs and all that without winning the West, especially when it expands. But he knows that, look, to do what we did in year one and then take it to the next level, we've got to be perfect across the board almost. That means everyone's held accountable. So Unless they kick off the season and nothing's changed and things look the same, I am far from saying that Brian Kelly undervalues special teams in any regard.
2: Yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm just waiting for the season to get here and for them, the special teams, just to be good. Like, I, I honestly don't see it being a problem again. Like, I think even, like, Brian Brian Kelly, Brian Pullian, like, all of them, if they just... Take care. You've you've mentioned it before. If they just catch kicks, they kick it out the end zone. Like if you take care of the simple things. I I really don't see this being an issue again. Like worst case scenario, you have a couple muffed punts, and like I just don't think there's a scenario where it gets anywhere near as bad as it was last year. With the with the emphasis that Brian Kelly is and Brian Polian are going to have on special teams this off season, I cannot see it being close to as bad as it was last year.
3: No, but I also, I'm not going to rule it out that, I mean, we see it every off season coaches get reassigned into different, you know, Brian Pullian has obvious value. He does recruiting. He does transfer portal. He's been a right-hand man to Brian Kelly for a long time. So he knows how to execute things within a program for him. So if I'm not ruling out, I'm saying Kelly's saying, okay, I'm going to have someone else run special teams. You do this now and whatever it might be. So no, I do not think he undervalues it and no matter what route they go, I think it's going to be a point of obvious focus um, yeah. and something we'll continue to monitor. Look, spring starts uh, next month in March. So we're not far away from uh, seeing them back out there and getting a feel for uh, what special teams will begin to look like. As you mentioned, Aaron Anderson is on campus now, so they'll be able to jump uh, headfirst into whatever changes they want to make on special teams. This is a good one here. And Hold That Tiger asked a couple questions down. It uh, says, thoughts on the Alabama coordinator hires uh, seems underwhelming, with, and Reese is a downgrade from Bob O'Brien, in my opinion. Obviously, they hired Kevin Steele uh, to replace Pete Golding. But Misled Alarm92 says, what are y'all's thoughts on coaching coordinator hires and changes among the SEC West teams? Are there any in particular that should concern LSU fans? What I didn't realize until he asked this, and I went and started to look at all of them, Every single school but LSU in the West changed coordinators. Some of them changed both coordinators. So there is a lot of shakeup going on. I'll give you all the skinny here at home.
2: Yeah, give me the skinny. You're listening.
3: Then, Maddie B., you can tell me your reaction. I'll share mine. Arkansas's no longer got Bryles, and they've got Danny Nose. That is a notable going from a Bryles system to a pro-style system, going back under center at quarterback. Then they're going Barry Odom to Travis Williams, and people remember the name Travis Williams. He played at Auburn, but uh, he's been the D.C. at UCF uh, before now going to replace Barry Odom. Barry Odom's a great D.C. We mentioned Bama. Bill O'Brien to Tommy Reese. Notre Dame's O.C. comes down to Tuscaloosa. Pete Golding to uh, Kevin Steele. Kevin Steele back to Bama staff again. Auburn, Philip Montgomery is now the O.C. He used to be the head coach at Tulsa. And then Ron Roberts left Aranda Staff at Baylor to become the D.C. at Auburn. So two changes there uh, with the passing of Mike Leach, R.I.P. Zach Arnett obviously takes over as head coach uh, and Kevin Barbays at D.C. Still, you would think
2: offensive as Ar- O.C.
3: Uh, excuse me, Kevin Barbays at O.C. They've got a new D.C. and still you would think Arnett would probably be calling yeah. things on that side of the ball. Ole Miss gets Golding as the DC, which is an upgrade uh, from where they were previously, in my opinion. Charlie Weiss Jr. is still there, but he's popping up on boards as a potential target at places like Notre Dame. So uh, he was there for a year this past season after replacing Lebby. And then AM with a big one. Bobby Petrino comes in. Allegedly, Jimbo is backing off of the offense. The keys will be handed over. Daryl Dickey's gone, who was really not, obviously, not calling plays. It was Jimbo's offense. We'll see how much the Bobby Petrino stuff actually comes to reality with him being in charge and calling plays on game day. I list you off six teams there, Maddie B. All of them have changed. LSU plays every one of these teams. We've talked about continuity, LSU being able to keep both their coordinators, Den Brock and Matt House back. So LSU will have to face a lot of teams that they're dealing with new coordinators in those spots. And we'll see what that means for, Uh, game planning and all that, but do any of them jump out at you? And I almost feel, for one, Arkansas is the one that gets hit the most. I just think that the Levy, or I should say the Bryles offense with Kendall there running it at Arkansas brought something different to Arkansas than they normally would have. And Pittman being an O-line coach, you've got Enos coming back. They're going straight pro style back under center now. And anytime you lose Barry Odom as your DC is a hit. Barry Odom is a great DC. And we saw him put it on LSU this year. I'm not knocking Travis Williams at all. Um, I'm just thinking out loud of that seems to be the
2: one where they may have gone backwards at both hires. That's what it feels like from the outside. Like that, like it, it's underrated. I don't know if it's underrated, but it feels underrated to me how good KJ Jefferson's been the last two years, like statistically, if you look it up, um, his numbers are insane. And that is obviously a direct correlation with Bryles being the offensive coordinator. So that will be really interesting to see how offensively they're able to do uh, moving forward. Defensively, not only do they lose their DC, they lose Drew Sanders, lose Bumper Pool, you know, as far as talent goes. So they, they have a lot of new pieces here i think arkansas is a good one um mississippi state as well with kevin barbet coming in from uh appalachian state appalachian state like ran the ball 60 plus percent of the time last year or was it or 55 plus percent of the time last year like they ran the ball a a good amount and obviously going from mike leach to that that is a pretty different style there so i'm curious how barbet comes in and how he tries to implement what he did at App State, or if it is, if he tries to open it up a bit. But regardless, that's a significant change for Mississippi State there. So uh, you're looking at Mississippi State, big change on offense. Arkansas, big changes on both sides. Um, we talked about a AM. I mean, I have no clue what AM is going to look like again. But
3: that's the big question. Does Jimbo let go of the offense or not? And we, we don't even know that answer until we see the season unfolding.
2: And even if he does, like, w- how much better can it look under Petrino, who, while, you know, he's a name, I guess, uh, wasn't lighting things up, per se, over the past couple years at Missouri State. So it's just, it's an interesting situation with those three. Um, I'm trying to think of the other ones you named. Um, obviously, Alabama, like you said, we'll, we got a question about that later, but we can answer it now. I mean, going from, uh, going to Tommy Reese uh, this year from Bill O'Brien, Alabama fans hated Bill O'Brien like they they're like this is the worst offense coordinator ever yada 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 and when you watched Alabama games it did feel a lot like Bryce Young bailing out Bill O'Brien like that's what it felt like like Bryce Young was just making things happen we'll see like I don't know if Tommy Reese can be quote-unquote like worse than Bill O'Brien um I do think Notre Dame-, Dame got better as the season went on last year obviously after losing to Marshall um and stanford so yeah i i think that's probably an upgrade tommy reese
3: and i i'd say this about tommy reese because i know a lot of lsu fans are saying look saban's chasing kelly's guy and a lot of notre dame fans are saying this is great tommy reese was awful we hated yeah. him here's my reality or at least what i would view my far away view of how things are unfolding here tommy reese has wanted higher was Brian Kelly's offensive coordinator. He wanted to bring him to LSU. In that same stretch, he's getting interviews for an NFL OC job. Now Nick Saban wants to hire him and does. So not only NFL, toss that aside, two of the best coaches in the college game want him to be their OC. So I think he's young. And I also think when you view Notre Dame OC and try to compare that to the lens of what a person could do at LSU or Alabama. It's much different. You're yeah. very limited at Notre Dame in terms of just overall talent. Like the fact that Brian Kelly was getting Notre Dame to the playoffs was an incredible achievement because yeah, they got waxed by Bama. You know why? Bama's got way better players than Notre Dame has. And at the end of the day, when you've got two great coaches going up against each other, the team with the better players and the team with the not such good players, it's not going to be much of a contest. And it wasn't. Now that's why Brian Kelly's at LSU. He now realizes I've got access to the best players. We're in the best conference. This is where you want to be. I think Tommy Reese, I'm interested to see how it goes, but he'll be better than he was at Notre Dame because they have better players yeah. at Alabama. And clearly, exactly. he's, he's viewed as a sharp offensive mind. I don't know if there's any others that really, like I think Pete Golding's an upgrade. Um, yeah. We'll see what happens. Like you said, at state a and would not even work debating if Jimbo's going to Uh, hand over the keys or not. We just won't know the answer to that until later, but I settle on Arkansas with changes on both sides of the ball that are sort of going like that. You can really point to and say, well, you're changing your offense philosophy and browse is considered one of the best OCs in the country. And then defense Odom is considered one of the best DCs in the country, browse OC. Uh, So just to lose him hurts. So Arkansas for me is the one that I pay attention to and say, that's probably a hit to them. And it'll be interesting to see what that means moving forward. Uh, we do have a few more here, uh, Matty B. Yep. Percentage chance L- – this is from Cairo uh, Tiger. Percentage chance LSU makes the playoffs. We got question marks at quarterback. I don't – in Alabama. Oh, we have question marks at the quarterback position in Alabama, is what he's saying. And our schedule looks decent down the stretch. We've discussed the schedule before. Where do we put this? Uh, 60% chance,
2: 50 40%, Fifty percent chance of making the playoff? I can't do that. You can't go that high. I can't go fifty percent chance of make. That's high. Fifty percent chance.
3: I'm no, asking.
2: No, 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 no. Oh, because, oh, like if in theory, in theory. Sorry, I'm just trying to talk through this. If they lost to Florida State and they lose to Alabama. And let's just say let's just say Alabama wins the West, so you'd be at ten and two, no div- no division title, no conference title. That's tough. That'll be tough to get in. Like assuming Alabama gets in, and then you probably have Georgia in as well. Like obviously, if you lose to Florida State, you probably have to run the table in in the conference at that point, or you know hope it's another Bama down year and you win the West and then you win the SEC title, make it in that way. Like that's just a lot of things have to break, right? Um, And then you also have to account for like, you know, TCU or a team like that going undefeated, USC going undefeated, like teams like that that don't have that tough of a schedule that can get hot and go undefeated, making it to the final four. So um, it's just, there's a lot of tough games on here. It is an easier schedule though, which I was skeptical about because I thought last year's schedule was, was kind of easier, but Florida state, will be a top 10 top five team obviously Alabama will be up there um but other than that like what games are are really scaring us here um
3: lSU's getting the one two three four five six eighth best odds to win the national championship what
2: what are those odds at do you know uh,
3: 1800 which would be shared by Clemson uh it's Georgia 18-1. plus 250 Bama plus 500 Ohio State plus 750 Michigan plus 900. Then USC plus 1,200 with Caleb Williams back. Then it's Clemson and LSU sitting there together.
2: So 18 to 1 odds, what is that, like (laughs) 5.5%, 6% let's say? But that's to win. Oh, to win it. So 6% to win it. Yeah, you know, I'd probably go about 20 20 to 25% of making the playoffs.
3: My 50 was too high. That was just a way to start things off. You said 60,
2: and I was like (laughs) – they, to make hey they were
3: they were not fine let's no okay, no no dude, gonna, like
2: it's not it's not like i said i think i'll stick at 25 percent. i'm gonna go
3: 25
2: 25 i think is a very realistic thing because florida state if you lose to florida state your odds significantly drop because then you're gonna have to be almost perfect in conference and you're gonna need things to break your way if you're not perfect if you beat florida state you will move up to like number three in the country immediately <laughs> And then you have like grambling Mississippi state. We assume, we assume to be a win like all these games we've did it last year where you go through conference. You're like, Oh, they should beat Arkansas. They should beat state. They should beat this team, and this team at the end of the day, like if a, a team could very well catch you. So that's why you need to beat Florida state. In my opinion, if you want to make the playoff um for either team, really, I think Florida state needs to win that game because if you lose the rest of their schedule, I don't know how tough it is. Like, I don't know how good the ACC will be next year. Um, And I don't know how tough LSU schedule is really at all because there are so many questions like we just talked about for a whole 10 minutes. There are questions at Arkansas, Ole Miss, Auburn go down the list, but it is nice drawing Missouri from the, from the East this year.
3: Yes, that is a nice draw for them. Um, Okay. Only a couple more here. Denim Tiger 90. It's a great question. What's the next national championship team, women's basketball, baseball or football And I obviously think there's a bit of urgency here uh, to the answer because football can't win until next January. Women's basketball and baseball could, and they're both men. Obviously, the baseball team is ranked number one and have all the hoopla in the world around them. And women's basketball, as we noted earlier in the podcast, is not on South Carolina's level yet, may not be even on a UConn or an Indiana level yet, but they're up there. They should make a run. We have to start this debate by asking ourselves this. Can women's basketball win it all this year?
2: I don't want to be used as a soundbite. Don't, <laughs> don't. You're the
3: one who clips all this stuff, so don't question <laughs> yourself. Okay, did, um, did they have a legitimate like, chance?
2: They, they can make a Final Four. The problem is That's in women's legitimate. basketball, the problem is in women's basketball, Usually the talent disparity from like South Carolina and like you said, I think Indiana and like UConn, those type of teams, like usually the talent level wins out in college and women's basketball. Uh, You don't have as many upsets nearly. And on the women's side, as you do the men's side, I would be surprised if South Carolina didn't win it all this year. Um, So like women's basketball, I think I think they could, but it's like 15 percent chance. 10% chance okay
3: it's tough to then say baseball we have no idea I mean they're baseball baseball is projected number one in everything recruiting class ranked number one in every single poll so the question here then becomes because all we'd be doing is predicting if baseball doesn't win it yeah then what happens
2: then it gets interesting
3: then it gets interesting because football have a chance to win it you can make a run with Jaden daniels and you know you've got some veterans and win it. Kim's team is going to be even better next year. Angel Reese yeah. and, and them are going to be back again. And you have got number 1 player in the country coming in, the number 1 recruiting class coming in. Then they really could win it. And then baseball will obviously have a lot of these same guys back and another number 1 class. So then they could potentially win it again. Now, for baseball winning this year seems to be the hope.
2: Yes. Uh, baseball like if for people who follow baseball, you'll they'll, they'll know, but it's so hard to predict a champion like the number one seeds year after year i mean the past two years have obviously been been ousted in the super regionals haven't even made it to the college world series like it's just like Ole miss won you know won the national title and they were like on the bubble of making the tournament like it's just so unpredictable in a lot of ways um i have my answer though women's basketball wins the 2024 ncaa tournament okay that will be the first one
3: I think that's the most sound answer outside of the possibility that they do win this year in baseball. Like if everything went right for them in baseball and they stayed healthy and all these guys were dominant, then yeah, they'd get to Omaha and they'd be a favorite. But as you noted, a lot of unpredictability, a lot more predictability in women's basketball. And you know what they got coming in next year. You know what they've got back. They'll be set up for a big run. I think that's the answer as well. I will go women's basketball next year.
2: Dude, next year's women's basketball team. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that, that'll be my pick. That'll be my pick.
3: We got a hypothetical here from Hunter for Um, he'll, and he prefaced it by saying that, but, and he called it pointless, but welcome to his life. Um, his words, not mine. Do you think BK hired Sloan as a potential future OC when Dinbrock hangs it up? I don't know if that was his determining factor in hiring Joe Sloan because yeah. Joe Sloan was also at law tech. He knows the lay of the land here. Yeah. He interviewed well, but I certainly think that, Anytime you're on staff, you're a quarterback coach, you're working closely with the OC, everything you're doing is an audition for whether it's a salary increase, whether it's increased responsibilities, um, whether it's for a promotion in house one day. So I don't think that was a driving factor, but I think it's always something uh, that you keep an eye on in terms of uh, people promoting on staff, guys that they're familiar with, they trust, they've seen what they can do uh, up, you know, up close and in person and, uh, then they feel good about uh, not making a hire that they would deem risky in any way because they don't know the coordinator or whatever it might be. So uh, I do think Joe Sloan is in an audition phase for sure of what could be increased responsibility uh, as time goes on um, bourbon and Cheerios. He's obviously got a million questions. We'll just give him one here. Uh, as we enter year two, what is this most significant differences you see between strength conditioning staff from this one and the previous one. I think this could be tough to judge in a way, Matty B, but I'll say this, and it's not a, it's just specific to this year's team. I thought they looked really well conditioned into deep into the season. Now they were also so shallow on their roster that by November, a lot of guys were wearing down because they were carrying a lot of snaps, but it was very evident out of the gates that they were in shape. Like that Florida State game, they were Ready to roll across all four quarters. It was not hand on the hips at Mississippi any
2: State as well.
3: Mississippi State as well.
2: Yeah, no, I 100 percent agree that that it, they showed time and time again that they were well conditioned. Um, They were they stayed healthy. I mean, far more often than we saw the past two years of players stay healthy. So yeah, the the depth was the biggest issue. It wasn't uh, a fitness thing. If they had four Makai Wingos out there. Or guys, conditions that could play uh, at his level. I mean, they would have played them all, and they would have been perfectly fine. But they didn't.
3: Yeah, he would not have had to lead the nation in snaps. Um, exactly. But I will also say this: staff is very data-driven. Um, with and look, they've got Marucci and a lot of guys who've been around that have been in the data game a long time, and Moffat and them were obviously um, come from the old school into the new school, and we're adjusting. But it seems to me that Flint and his staff at the core are about the data and, you know, these guys are strapped up to everything all day. They track all their workouts through different computer models and uh, are very fine tuned into the, how they approach each individual player. That's something the players talked about that like every workout they do is not like a team workout. It's like, here's your specific workout for what your body can handle, where you need to get bigger. And and it's a lot tied in with nutrition uh, and Jake Frakes and, or excuse me, uh, Frakes and that staff. Uh, and what they're able to do on the nutrition side of things to supplement what they do on the strength side. I would say that's the biggest difference I've seen is the marriage between all that and the data behind what's going into uh, being a strength and conditioning program. Um, There were some ridiculous questions in here, obviously. Uh, Who finishes first in a planking contest between everyone on the site, including Hunt? um but are you a planker i don't know if i planked since it was a trend and i maybe did it once
2: well is he talking about plank the workout i'm assuming? yeah right a planking so, contest you got to yeah, plank you plank yeah um yeah i mean i can plank a little bit yeah maddie b's cool. going for the dub I'm pretty i mean I, I i don't weigh a ton so it's i can hold myself up for a bit
3: <laughs> i'm gonna go with hunt billy and me pulling up the rear there so okay, okay. maddie b you win this win. one uh, do you consider a wrap to be a sandwich? I can, yeah, I guess I consider a wrap to be a wrap.
2: Yeah, wraps in I, a wrap has to be in its own category because it's like sandwich, taco, wrap, like slash burrito. Yeah, if if
3: the if what is inside the wrap is sandwich meat or like you know could be considered a sandwich, I would consider it a sandwich. Okay. If it's I can go a burrito, then no, it's not a sandwich. Okay, obviously, I
2: like that.
3: How many attempts do you need to score a penalty kick on Sadiq Charles, LSU's old left tackle, who is a high school goalkeeper at you know six, four and a half, three hundred something something, pounds. New. I, incredible. I
2: something new. Okay. Um I mean you saw Sadiq way but way more than me. So what, how I don't happen? know. I mean, it
3: doesn't matter. I don't think he's any world class. So it just so takes up a lot it, of space.
2: Put it to a side.
3: Can you kick a soccer ball? Yeah, yeah.
2: All right. So I just need to just just shoot a normal penalty. It's not like he's Spider-Man out no. here.
3: I could do it in less than three.
2: Okay, three?
3: <laughs> no doubt for me.
2: Okay. All right. Your
3: um, at the high school level playing mid-soccer is uh. – I've got this. You've got, got this. you got it.
2: You'll lead us into that charge. Um, the last question is about FAU. Uh, if FAU basketball can win two games in the NCAA tournament. They're, they're super solid. Two games, I think, would be asking a lot. I think they could win one. If they continue winning at this rate, they'll probably be a 10 seed, which I think would be interesting. Um, maybe a 9 seed if they could get it, but if they win one, if let's say they're matched up with a decent uh, a high major team, I think that would be an interesting matchup.
3: Go 63 asked about the special teams, which you've already addressed. Um, Tiger Mike asked about uh, any smoke on Denbrock interest in Notre Dame offensive coordinator. One positive would be get full autonomy of running with his offense, where I'm sure Kelly has a lot of input right now. I would say that Denbrock's probably not looking to make move after move after move here, especially when he's in the SEC. He's got a starting quarterback coming back. He's with Kelly, who he's been very close to for a long time. It would surprise me if Denbrock left after a year just to go – to Notre Dame and it wasn't like he just came from Notre Dame he was at Cincinnati for a while so yeah. that one would surprise me and he's making good money
2: here that would shock me that, that would shock I mean you kind of mentioned it all I can look at it obviously from the outside looking in is you have a top 10 team coming into this year you have a returning quarterback in Jaden Daniels you have plenty of receiver talent you have really really good offensive line talent uh, obviously you come off of last year you should be able to improve I, I just think these guys are hungry This whole staff, in my opinion, is just so hungry to prove like we can build off of this. We can be even better than we were last year. And I think Denbrock kind of epitomizes that, which I think, you know, Jaden Daniels and this whole team will.
3: No, Denbrock. uh, I think he's in a groove too. Denbrock's got some guys down here that are also working as analysts and all that that he's been friends with and worked with before. So I think he's in a comfortable spot right now. Um, But that's just my opinion from the outside looking in. The last question um goes off the deep end again. Uh from Swisher. simply just wanted to know uh what the lay of the land were like with the women uh in Denton when you were at North Texas. He's, it's he's not, trying to have so
2: Oh, oh I th- I honestly when I first read, it, I thought the women's basketball. <laughs> oh no. No. The, are the women, women better at North Texas or LSU? I've only been I I have obviously didn't go to LSU. So that's the that's the hard part. Like I didn't hard for you to stay on the campus or enough. So I'll stick with North Texas. I'll stick with the Dallas DFW area. Is UNT
3: considered a sneaky spot in Texas for the women? Is this what he's getting at here?
2: I don't think it's a sneaky spot. I mean, it's north of Dallas. Like Dallas in itself is not a sneaky spot. I don't think it's not like it's Texas Tech out there in Lubbock.
3: Or like Texas State and San Marcos when all of a sudden you're at like a party school.
2: Texas State, <laughs> Texas State is 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 the crazy. Yeah, I don't want to say crazy, but yeah, it is it's uh, the Arizona State of the Texas schools. It is, it is something. It is something. Texas State is something.
3: Grapes wish you worry little, worry less about uh, UNT, LSU, and get over to San Marcos for a weekend and uh, have you some fun running the river and
2: yeah, jump in the river, go crazy, parties everywhere,
3: Texas drag your ice chest around and and see what uh, the beautiful see. men and women that party in San Marcos at Texas state look like it'll be fun times for you. Uh, okay, great. That wraps up our mailbag. Um, Maddie B anything left from you? We got plenty done today.
2: No, I think that was good. Um, I gotta, I mean, I got at least one story going up. I'm going to, I'm going to rewatch the uh, senior bowl game. I think see what Ali Gay and Jay Ward and them did, um, in their games. So I might have something on that later, but other than that, I think I'm good. Subscribe, people! And subscribe, give subscribe on YouTube. Are we have three thousand yet. I don't even know how close we are. To this we were at, we were like forty away last I checked. So there we go. Okay, get us to three thousand on YouTube. Yep, get us to three thousand. We are at. Oh, we're ten away. Ten okay, away. Guys. Come on, nine nine zero. All
3: right, this is the mailbag
2: pod will do it. Mailbag pod will do it. Mailbag pod will do it. So, um, yeah, that's all we got for y'all today. We hope y'all enjoyed it. Um. Like we said, subscribe, leave a like, comment, share, all that good stuff. If you're listening on the audio side, leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, Subscribe to the Bengal Tiger on three. We appreciate it. Get all of our insight, analysis, all that good stuff uh, throughout the offseason
0: as well. So we thank you all for joining us, and we will talk to you all later. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, It's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book right now. New customers get $200 in bonus bets. If your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel, that's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on
1: three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be twenty-one and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. Ten dollar first deposit required bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanDuel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem call Wayne Hundred Gambler or visit FanDuel.com/slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky. Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP Step two five three three four two. 42 in Arizona 1-8- 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com